Hello and welcome to EU History Explained. In this series we try to make sense of today's European Union by looking at its history. Today we're going to talk about the European Council, the body which gathers together the heads of state or government from the European Union's member states. The European Council has over the years become the EU's agenda setter, shaping key milestones in European integration. But despite this, its history as a formal institution of the EU doesn't go back too far. The heads of state or government have no specific role in the institutional setting of early European communities. Nevertheless, informal summit meetings are occasionally convened in the 1960s to discuss issues of common concern. These summits are largely part of France's efforts to limit the community's supranational character. In France's vision, the community should be supplemented by a political union of states based on intergovernmental cooperation, with the heads of state or government determining its priorities. However, smaller member states are not big fans of the summit practice, because they fear dominance by the larger countries, as well as the community, being subject to intergovernmental drift. Despite initial failure, France will remain determined to make political leaders' involvement in European integration more structural. And indeed, over the following years, a number of developments will combine to create the right conditions within which the summits can be institutionalized. The European Council can be described as an institution born out of necessity, stemming from very specific circumstances that emerged in Europe during the late 1960s and the early 1970s. Firstly, there's the broader international context. Despite the community's limited field of competence, starting from the late 1960s, issues on the table increasingly touch upon crucial matters of political cooperation and international politics. This happens against the backdrop of an increasingly unstable international order, both in the monetary sphere with the end of the Bretton Woods era and in the geopolitical sphere with an ongoing redefinition of relations between the two blocs and a series of conflicts in the Middle East that have repercussions on energy prices. Community institutions are not made to tackle these hot questions and this results in the need for input from the national leaders. Secondly, the community lacks an overall political component that can provide momentum for the advancement of integration. After an initial period during which the common market is set in motion, European integration enters a phase of stagnation. It soon becomes clear that for the community to move beyond a basic common market, member states' leaders themselves will need to become actively involved. An initial turning point is the Hague Summit in 1969, where the member states' leaders take it into their own hands to relaunch European integration along the famous triptych completion, deepening and enlargement. In the early 1970s, a final push for institutionalizing the summits comes from two key European leaders, the French President Valérie Giscard d'Estaing and the German Chancellor Helmut Schmidt. They both want to be closely involved in the work of the European Community and are sceptical about the European Commission's capacity to provide impetus for further integration. Their stance is supported by the Community's founding father, Jean Monnet, 
who recognizes that regular meetings have by now become necessary to advance integration. Against this backdrop, it is at the Paris summit in 1974 that with Giscard's push, the member states' leaders decide to meet on a regular basis three times a year and whenever necessary and to institutionalize their meetings by creating the European Council. Despite this, they want to keep the European Council as informal as possible. There is still no legal basis established by the treaties and its functions are not clearly defined. This helps in appeasing the more community-minded member states such as the Benelux countries who wish to keep European Council work separate from the community. At the same time, the Spagnus provides leaders with plenty of freedom to carve out the European Council's functions and powers gradually, as they see fit, free from heavy procedural constraints. Mirroring the Council of Ministers' practice, the European Council presidency will rotate every six months among the member states, with meetings being convened either in the president's home country as a norm or, more exceptionally, in one of the EU seats. Over the following decades, the European Council will gradually establish itself in practice as the ultimate negotiating body whenever members can't find agreement in the Council of Ministers. It will also play a key role in decisions to launch new areas of cooperation, such as monetary integration or the area of freedom, security and justice. Last but not least, it will take the political decisions that will lead to all major treaty revisions. But as yet, none of these functions are actually codified within the treaties. A key milestone is the signature in 1986 of the Single European Act, the first text that amends the community's founding treaties. The Single European Act is important for two key reasons. Firstly, it is the European Council that launches treaty revision, thereby identifying itself as the initiator of constitutional change. Secondly, it is the first treaty to actually mention the European Council. It states that it will meet at least twice a year and identifies its members, the heads of state or government of the member states and the president of the European Commission, who are assisted by the ministers for foreign affairs and by a member of the Commission. However, its powers have yet to be defined. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, the European Council also starts increasingly to define itself as a crisis manager. It is the member states' leaders who react to the challenges of this change in times during the 90s by taking some historic decisions. They lay plans for enlargement to Central and Eastern European states and define requirements for their accession. They decide to launch the Economic and Monetary Union and ultimately to create a European Union. The latter is established by the Maastricht Treaty, which also formalizes the European Council's role in providing the necessary impetus for the Union's development and in defining general political guidelines. However, the European Council does not appear in the list of community institutions included with this treaty. In 1997, the Treaty of Amsterdam further defines the European Council's role in deciding on common strategies within the newly created Common Foreign and Security Policy. By 2001, it is agreed that future sessions of the European Council will take place in Brussels, which is the case still today. 
it is again the European Council that in the early 2000s will take the lead in the process leading to the draft constitution for Europe and after its defeat to the Lisbon Treaty. only with the Lisbon Treaty that the European Council formally becomes an EU institution. According to this treaty, its role is to define the Union's general political directions and priorities. It meets four times a year and comprises the heads of state or government of the member states, who take decisions by consensus. The President of the Commission also takes part and since the Lisbon Treaty, the European Council has a stable president who doesn't hold national office. Finally, the High Representative also participates in its work. Apart from setting the EU's overall direction, the European Council exerts a number of key powers, such as proposing a candidate for presidency of the European Commission, convening a convention to revise the treaties, and through its president, representing the Union in foreign policy. In the post-Lisbon years, the European Council's role as the EU's crisis manager is further consolidated during the economic and financial crisis and more recently during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks to its informal nature, the European Council has been able to carve out its own role over the years in response to major crises and political developments. As a result, today the European Council is the EU's constitutional architect, having triggered all major treaty revisions. It is the initiator of enlargement and key new policies, as well as the Union's collective voice on the global arena. Thank you for watching and see you soon with a new episode of EU History Explained. This podcast is co-funded by the European Union. The European Commission support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.